Amen, amen. We're going to be picking up in Psalm chapter number four, but we're going to be telling off of uh, where we were last week. We started a, a little series. We're talking about the presence of God in our lives. And uh, one of the sayings that I have is sometimes we leave meat on the bone. And whenever we're dealing with the word of God, how many of you know you're never going to exhaust God's word? You can read the same passages every year of your life, and they're going to take on new meaning because the word of God is alive. Amen. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 and 12 that it's quick and powerful. Amen. The word of God can minister to us that same word of God all throughout our life. And the presence of God is so important in the life of a believer. This is what animates our spirit. It's the presence of God. If, if somebody has an outward uh, resemblance of religion, but they don't have the inward manifestation of the spirit, how many of you know that's what Jesus called a hypocrite? Jesus called the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the lawyers and the scribes hypocritical because they were so focused on the outward show of religion but they didn't have the inward moving. They didn't have that inward healing. They didn't have the presence of God in their life. Amen. So one of the things that we're looking at is, is how important the presence of God is in our lives. And the great news about the presence of God is you, you don't have to be educated. You don't have to have great clothes. You don't have to have a great smile. You don't have to be an eloquent speaker. You don't have to be all that. All you have to do is be surrendered to the Lord. Amen. That's all you got to do is be surrendered to the Lord. You know, but that's one of the hardest things that we do because that means you're, you're letting go of self. You're letting go of self. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him what? Deny himself, right? Take up his cross yearly, Amen. monthly, Daily, that's right. Take up his cross daily and come after me, right? And he said, I'll make you my disciple. It's an amazing concept, but it all starts with denying self. And each one of us makes those choices in our daily lives, whether we're going to live for ourselves or in submission to Christ. And each one of us knows there's times in our life when we haven't done that. And we know how hard it can be, but we also know how beautiful and how sweet and how liberating that freedom is when you deny self and you take up that cross and you go after the Lord Jesus with all that you've got. You know, in that place right there, that's when the Lord just envelops you in his arms and you feel his presence all around you and he ministers to you. You can be like Jonah in the belly of that fish down in the bottom of that ocean and he met God in that place. It took him three days and three nights. He prayed and he finally came to his senses. Amen. It's like that prodigal that was in the, remember where the prodigal was working at? The prodigal was working in the pig farm. How many of y'all ever been in a pig farm? You work in a pig farm, the smell stays with you. And if you know Jewish tradition, a pig farm is absolutely the last place he should have been. He was doing the absolute opposite of what he should have been doing. And that smell stayed with him. How many of you know when you get involved in self, that smell stays with you? No matter where you go, no matter how much cologne you put on, you still smell like you're serving your flesh, Right? It just, it, it just comes out. That's why the Lord said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You got you got a, a, um, your heart not right, there's going to be not right manifestations coming out of your mouth, out of your actions. And so, but that prodigal, it said that he came to himself. He came to himself. He, we say he came to his senses. But he came to himself and he said, you know what? It's better for me to go to my father's house and be a servant than be here. And that is denying self. He finally said, you know what? I'm just going to take swallow my pride and go back home. I'm just going to swallow my pride and go back home. You know, that's music to the Lord's ears. That's music to the Lord's ears. You know why? Jesus said that it's more blessed. He would rather go out and find the one that had strawn away than the 99 that never left. He would rather go after that one. And we think of it opposite. We think of the Lord just conducting like a music conductor, the 99, right? The one's just over, well, they'll come back eventually. No, the Lord will leave the 99, and he'll go find the one. And he'll seek after that one that has just gone away through whatever, you know, 
situation they've gotten themselves into and he'll take that lamb back home. And he said, there's more rejoicing in heaven over that one that repented than over the 99 that never needed to. How amazing is that? We think it's backwards. We think it's backwards, but the Lord is all about seeking and saving the lost, isn't he? That's what he's about. How, how many of you are glad that he sought you and he saved you? <laughs> Amen. Do you know that not one of us, not one of us saved ourselves, not one of us opened our own eyes. It was the Lord. It was somebody preached the gospel to you and said, God made an overture to you. God came to where you were through Calvary. He made a way for you to be reconciled back to himself. And it, it was in that that you responded. And so we're going to uh, pick up psalm chapter number four let's begin in verse number four let's just begin there stand in all and sin not commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still say la so what what david is saying here is you've got to have that time when you come uh and he's saying at the end of the day right commune with your own heart that means, you know, get to that place where you say, Lord, search my heart, search my ways. See if there's anything wrong within me, any evil, any, any guile, any unrighteousness. Lord, search my heart and see if there's any wrong way or wrong motive or wrong thing within me. Before we go to bed at night, we're supposed to give ourselves afresh to God. Amen. And, that, and that's not just saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did, but actually coming to grips with it, releasing it, right? And finding reconciliation in God. Now watch this in verse number five. Offer the sacrifices and righteousness, the sacrifices of righteousness, and put your trust in the Lord. There be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, Lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Now notice here, before we get into this next part, who's going to show us any good? In other words, what good is there? This is kind of like in Ecclesiastes when Solomon is saying, what's the purpose of life? He, Solomon had all the riches. He had all the wisdom. But you know what? He was growing older by the day. And he looked on those younger people and he saw, even though I've got all the wisdom and I've got all the money, they're going to outlive me. So they've got it actually better. So what purpose is it? Who's going to show us any good? Who's, what purpose is there in it? And he says in response to that, Lord, let the light of your countenance come on it. You know what the countenance of God is? It's his presence. It, God, it's your presence in our lives that makes all the difference. Lord, don't let me go a day of work and toil in this life without the light of your countenance being at work in my life. Lord, I want to know you're with me. I want to feel your presence around me. I want to know that you're with me in the battle. You're with me in the valley. You're with me on the mountain. I want to know you're with me. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that way I don't fear any evil because Thou art with me. As he says in Psalm 23, Lord, lift up the light of thy countenance upon us. That's, that's the good that God can give you. That's the good that God has for you. Do you know that the Bible says in, in Corinthians that we now are the temple of God? He said, know you not that you are the temple of God, that the Holy Spirit dwells within you? Don't you realize that? See, that's why there's not a temple today is because the church is the temple of God. The Spirit of God inhabits the people of God now. The Holy Spirit at one time came to, to come on people, but in the New Testament after Pentecost, he comes in people. He indwells the believer. And so what we see here is he says this countenance, that's the good that we can hope for and expect. See, when we expect uh, a healthy bank account, right? When we expect that, when it's not there, guess what? We think God's goodness has left us. But in God's goodness is his presence when our bank account is good or bad. And you say, well, I don't know about that one. 
Okay, well, let's think about Daniel. Let's think about Daniel, right? This was a man after God's heart. This was a man that served God, a, a, a righteous man, and he got sold into slavery into Babylon. Where was God? God was with him. Where was God? God was with him when he got thrown in the den of lions. God was with him throughout his whole life. Why? Because God's countenance is on his people. God's countenance is on his people. God's countenance was on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they got thrown into the fiery furnace, when they wouldn't worship Nebuchadnezzar's idol, when they wouldn't worship that statue, they said, oh, king, we cannot do this. We cannot do this because we serve a God greater than you. <laughs> and, and God was with them even when they went in that fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, we put three people in there, but I see a fourth man. Amen. I see a fourth man. There was a fourth man in the fire. And so it was that countenance of God that was with them no matter what they were going through. God's goodness, listen, God's goodness is there for you no matter what your situation of life is or will be. You're not going to get thrown into a fire, Lord willing. Amen. But even if you do, you have a promise that if you serve God and you love God and his countenance be with you, he'll be with you in the trial. He'll be with you in the storm. And the Bible says in Hebrews, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll be with you to the end. Didn't he say that? Amen. He said, lo, I will be with you always. I will be with you even unto the end of the earth. Isn't that what he said? So notice what he says here, thy countenance, thy countenance. When was the last time that you just laid on your bed and you said, Lord, it's, it's your presence that I need. That's the good. You, you know what, Lord, you don't have to buy me a new car. I just need you. Lord, you don't have to do another thing for me. You did everything already for me at Calvary. There was no way that any one of us could experience reconciliation with God until Jesus came and our transgressions were nailed to his cross. It was there and there alone that we can experience reconciliation with God and there is, is where we can find God's presence in our life. Now notice what he said here. That's the good. That's the good. You know how opposite this is to the mindset of the church world today? We think that God's good whenever we get a new car, but God's good when we have to walk to work. Amen. We think that God is good when we have new clothes, but God is good when our clothes are tattered and torn. We think that God is good when our house is full, but I promise you God is good when the house is empty. We think that God is good when, we're, when we've got a cupboard full of groceries, but you can ask that widow when Elisha went up there and, and, and the food just kept on multiplying. God is good even when the cupboard is bare because if God is there, God is there. And that's what is good. And we can experience God's goodness in our life no matter the situation or circumstances of it. All throughout the history of the Bible, all throughout the history of God's people, God was with his people in every season, in every trial, in every storm. The time that people left God, God let them go out there and get stuck till they finally came to their senses and turned back to God. A lot of times we get, we believe that there's good out there outside of God's presence. But anything outside of God's presence is what we call temporal. Any temporal item cannot be that eternal goodness from God. God's goodness is eternal, not temporal. Those temporal things come and they go. The, the Bible says, Jesus said that it rains on the just and the unjust. You realize that? You know, you don't have to be right with God to, to get wealthy. You don't have to be right with God to have a big family or a big house. You can be right with God and have nothing or everything. That's not God's standard of righteousness. That's not God's reward. God's reward is himself. We think, you, you've got to think, the reason that Christ went to the Calvary, went to the cross, was to reconcile you. It was to forgive your sin. 
But you've got to look at 2 Corinthians 5. It says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. You see, it's about that communion. It's about that union between you and the living God. This is what has captivated the mind and the hearts of the saint throughout all time because the God of eternity has made a way for you to be restored into right fellowship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, we first got to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that what? Diligently seek him. Now, we're going to get on that in just a second, but watch this. Look at this next verse. It says, so he lifts up the light of his countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart more, somebody say more, more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. You know what? He's saying right here, I have your countenance on me. I, I, I lay down on my bed and I got the light of glory on me. The, the God of, the, of all the universe came and visited me, ministered to me, and you've put more joy in my heart than in the time that their worldly goods arose. You see, the, the world looks for the corn and the wine. That's a, that's a symbolic of the world's goods. That's the best that you could get when you were harvesting back then. That's the best of the, that'd be like saying more than in the time that they get a new car and a new house. More than that. You know how much joy people get when they get a new home, right? They're going to blast it on Facebook and Instagram and everything else. Look what I got. Look what I got. I finally arrived. Look at my new car. I finally arrived. But you know what? He said, you put more joy in me just because I have your presence in my life. I have your countenance. Your smile is upon me, God. And that's what my soul needs. That's what I need more than the increase of worldly goods. I need you, God. I need you, Lord. How is it? How is it that the church has kind of got this flip-flop? It's because we've begun to seek a better life instead of God's best life. A better life versus God's best life. What does that mean? Do you know most of the time whenever we're carnally minded, we think we just need one more thing so that our life will be better. If I could just get that one job, my life will be better. If I could just get that one car, my life will be better. If I could just marry that one person, my life will be better. If I could just get that one house, my life will be better. If I could just get this debt out of there, then my life would be better. If I could just, you know, get my head above water in my bank account, life will be better. You know what? The, seeking that better life will cost you living the best life. The best life is when God's presence is in your life in the here and now. You see, even when you have debt, even when you don't have a house, even when you don't have a car, even when you're not married, even when you have this issue, that issue, God can be in your life in fullness. And that is what our hearts should be seeking after, not the gain from this world. This world's goods are all going to burn up one day. This world's goods are temporary. They come and they go just like the evening tide. It comes in and then it goes out. Everything in this world is the same way. You know it just by, you know, your kids. When things come in style, you just tell them when they want to do that, just say, wait a minute, because before long it's going to be out of style. It comes in and it goes out. And everything of the world is the same way. But you know who's not that way? God. You know why? God is eternal. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He always has been, he is, and he always will be. He is the rock of ages, and he never changes. He stays the same, and he made a way to come into your life through Christ at Calvary. And we praise God for that. We thank God. We have the ability to receive his countenance in our lives. And yet, 
Most of the church world lives for that one thing that'll make a better life than receiving the best life now. You can live the best life when you're Joseph in prison, when, you, when your family sold you into slavery, cut the cord, left you, forsook you, and sold you to slavery, found yourself in prison because of your integrity to God. Even in that prison place, God's anointing and God's presence and God's countenance was on Joseph and God was not willing to leave him there forever but God brought him out and delivered him and restored him into right fellowship with his family and so we could say you know when things go wrong has God left me no God never leaves his children you've got to look at the things from an eternal perspective and not a worldly perspective Living life, living for that better life will cost you or rob you from God's presence in your life. See, we have to seek God with not half a heart. I just, I just was quoting to you over there in Hebrews. For we must believe first that God is, and that's what faith, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That means that you are diligently removing obstacles in the way. You're diligently cultivating the path to God. When things get in the way, you're removing them. You're, you're, you're adding things in your life that bring you closer to him. You're diligently seeking the Lord. And that's where most people fail because they are diligently seeking a better life instead of diligently seeking God's life. And this tells you the difference in a lot of the church world and, and where we need to get as a church. We see God's coming back for a spotless bride. God's coming back for a spotless bride. When that trumpet blows, when that trumpet blows, there's going to be a lot of shocked people in the world. There's going to be a lot of shocked people. You see, a lot of people are double-minded. Double-minded people, James says, that they're unstable in all their ways. A double-minded church is a sad thing. That means we've got our mind on the world and, our, and, and we know what we're supposed to be doing, but we're doing the other thing anyways. That's a double-minded church, and that's a sad, a sad reality that we see. But let's continue in this just a little bit further. It says... <clears throat> That God put gladness in his heart more than in the time their corn and wine increased. You know why? Because the corn and the wine is going to run out. God's presence never runs dry. God, the corn and the wine, you know, sometimes a, the, a thief can come and take it. You get a new car, it might get stolen. You get a new house, it might burn down. There's, you'll never find the satisfaction from the heart the joy that comes in the heart from the things of the world. It'll only be when you find your place in God. That's the only place that you'll ever find that joy in the heart. See, the things of the world, at some point, they've got to grow strangely dim to you. At some point, you've got to say, you know what? It's not the good of the world that I need. It's God that I need. It's not what I can receive from this life. It's where I'm going to be in the next life. It's not what I can have in my hand today. It's who has me in their hand today. That's what I need. I need God in my life. The things of the world, you know what? You could have everything. You, look at Solomon. If you go read the last part of Ecclesiastes, Solomon had more wealth and more wisdom than any other person. Did, even Jesus said, nobody's been arrayed like Solomon. Even the flowers haven't been arrayed like Solomon. Nobody had it like him. And yet at the end of his life, Solomon was broken. He was broken because he saw the, the frailty of life itself. It's, it's fleeting. It's but a breath. And it's here today and then it's gone. Where am I going to go? And he said that's when he found the end of it all is to love God, to serve God, to obey God. That's the end of it all. And so we see this here that the corn and the wine increase. You know, a, a worldly person, that's all they live for. If the corn and the wine don't increase, they don't think that God loves them anymore. God's love was shed for us at Calvary, not by corn and wine. God shows his love to his people through what Jesus did on the cross, not through corn and wine. I say, well, that's not what those prosperity preachers say. 
Well, look, God said that God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5, verse 8. God shows, that's what that word means, commended. God commendeth his love toward us. You want to know what God's love is? You look at Calvary. You don't have to look at your bank account. You don't have to look at your clothes. You don't have to look at who's in your home and who's not, who's called you, who likes you, who lumps you. You don't have to look at those things to know if God loves you or not because God shows you his love through one thing, and one thing alone, it's through Calvary. God commended his love to you in that while you were yet a sinner, Christ went to Calvary for you. You see, we don't understand that because on this side of eternity, we don't understand what it cost him to come here and do what he did. We don't understand that here. As much as you, you know, you can study it all. You can know it theologically, but not personally. You know what I mean by that? Do you know that you can know it theologically, but not personally? What do I mean by that? You can take any person that, that can read and give them a theology book, and they can memorize it. You can memorize it. You could, you could get somebody to pass a 100 on a theology test and still not know God. Amen. Just because you can pass a theology test doesn't mean you know God. Amen. It's a changed life. That's the result of knowing God. Now watch this. This, whenever God commended his love toward us at Calvary, it was the Lord of glory that came here and bore our sins on the cross. And look at, the, look at this last verse, and I want to take you to another couple of places. Look at this last verse. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. See, the, the, peace, that, the peace that people seek after is only found when you find your everything in the presence of God, when you find that it is his countenance that brings you joy, it is his presence in your life that your heart longs for, then you'll find you don't need the world's things. You'll, you'll lay down and you'll have peace of mind. You won't, you won't have desires for worldly riches. You won't have desires for, for worldly popularity. You won't have desires for, for unrighteous things. You will desire the thing your heart longs for, which is God. And God, God will give you himself. He says that if you draw near to him, he draws near to you. That's James 4, 8. Isn't that amazing? It's not rocket science. Some of us, we, you know, it, it's not. You draw near to God, he's not going to withhold himself. He's not, he's not waiting to bop you on the head with a hammer and say, you should have come home sooner. That's not what he's there for. God is a reconciler. This is the age of grace. This is the day and the hour that he's calling people to come home. And, and so many people need to take advantage of that. Um, turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 89 real quick. Let's stop over there. Psalm 89. This one's good. It, um, Psalm 89 is really good because it has a lot to do with the new covenant. Uh, if you ever hear somebody get tripped up on the old covenant, new covenant, Psalm 89 is one that they need to read and reread. Uh, but here's a, an awesome promise. Verse 15, Psalm 89, verse 15. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. You know, the joyful sound that he's talking about here was when the Jewish people would hear the trumpet sound. That's whenever either a jubilee had broken out or a sacrifice was made or a holy day was happening. So whenever a, whenever a Jewish... Uh, a person heard a trumpet sound, they heard a joyful sound, they immediately knew this is a day of celebrating, this is a day of rejoicing. When that trumpet broke out, their countenance lit up. They said, great, it's a day to worship the Lord. It's the same way back in the day nobody had watches and whenever the dinner bell would ring, we would be working in the fields, nobody had watches so we didn't know what time it was and Somebody rang the dinner bell, it was time to eat. And whenever that dinner bell rang, everybody said, praise the Lord, it's time to go eat. 
Well, in the same way, in the same way, when a, when a Jewish person heard these trumpets, their countenance, it would just immediately lift. Praise God, something's going on at the temple. Something's going on. And we're going to go see what it is. And he said, in the same way, when we hear that joyful sound, that countenance is going to rise upon us. Well, do you know in the New Testament, as a New Testament believer, do you know what the joyful sound is for you? You know what the joyful sound is for you? That joyful sound for you is everything that you have done wrong was nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. If you would receive him as your Lord and Savior and believe that he is the Lord of glory, that he died on the cross for your sin and rose on the third day, that is a joyful sound that at your believing you would be saved. That's the joyful sound. And you know what? When you hear that sound, it resonates the rest of your life. When you hear that sound, it resonates all throughout your life. That joyful sound just keeps ringing in your ear. You know what? We don't have to wait for a special day to come into God's presence. We don't have to wait for a special day to come and worship the Lord. We don't have to wait for a jubilee when we live in a jubilee. We don't have to wait for a day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. We don't have to wait for a day of liberty. We can experience liberty today. Today is the day of freedom. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And when God is present, he's bringing freedom to our lives. So we can live, we can live with that sound of joy in our lives, no matter what's going on. If you think about it, in the Old Testament, they would be working. They wouldn't know. You know, only the scribes and the Pharisees kept track of the calendar. They would watch the moon, and they kept track of the days. But the average person had no idea. They only knew when the trumpet sounded. And so whenever that trumpet sounded, everything got excited. We knew it was a day of rejoicing, a day of feasting, a day to, to worship the Lord. And that's the way we're called to live as New Testament believers. We're called to live a life with that countenance in our life. In other words, we're called to live a life satisfied by his presence. We don't need another sound. We don't need somebody to knock on our door and say, you've won a million dollars. You don't need somebody to say, Publishers Clearinghouse has sent you a letter. We get a letter every morning from God. You open up the word of God, God has written a personal letter to you every morning telling you you've got something more than Publishers Clearinghouse could ever give you. You've got the Lord of glory giving you eternal life through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Praise God. We have, we have more. We have more that we can walk in and operate in. That presence, that presence is an amazing thing. Oh, the joyful sound, the joyful sound. Do you walk in the light of his countenance? Have you ever walked in the light of his countenance? Or do you want to walk in the light of his countenance? Oh, that light, that light will shine even in the midnight hour. Do you know that his light will shine when everybody else leaves you? His light will shine when people, when people go on, when people pass on, when people go to the grave, when people leave you, when people forsake you, when, when, when other people deny you, lie on you, forget about you. You know what? God's light will shine for you even in the night season. Amen? Joy's going to come in the morning. Joy's going to come in the morning. That weeping may go for the night, but joy's going to come in the morning. Amen? How many of you are ready for morning? You can live. You can live in that place of morning where the light is dawning in your life all the time. Let me take you to a couple of more places. Uh, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. The light, the light of God is what we need in our life. You agree with that? The light of God is what we need in our life. There is a, a in Luke chapter 12, we're going to begin in, uh, let's, let's start with verse 13. 
You know, how many of y'all remember the story of Zacchaeus? Y'all remember the story of Zacchaeus? He's a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He, and he climbed up in the sycamore tree because the Lord, he wanted to see. Y'all remember that? And, and so he wanted to see Jesus and he couldn't because he was short. So he, you know what? He wanted Jesus. He sought Jesus. And you know what? Most people would have quit when they couldn't see naturally. Most people, like if you go, if you, well, nobody said hi to me at church. I'm never going to that church again. Nobody said, nobody did this for me. I'm not doing that again. I didn't like the way they did this. I'm never doing that again. Zacchaeus could have said, nobody got out of the way so that I could see Jesus, so I'm never going to go to him again. But that's not what Zacchaeus said. He said, I can't see, therefore I'm going to climb so I can see. That's the heart of somebody pursuing God and not letting any obstacle get in the way. That's a heart right there for God. And watch this. Jesus saw him and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house. How many of y'all are, are, it's amazing that he didn't have to ask him what his name was. It's because he's God in the flesh. He's God in the flesh. He's the God man, Christ Jesus. And so he said, Zacchaeus, come down. We're going to your house. And you know what Zacchaeus did? Zacchaeus said, Lord, anything I've taken, I'm giving it back and I'm giving it back fourfold. Do you know that Jesus didn't ask him to do that? Jesus did not ask Zacchaeus to restore fourfold whatever he took. You know why Zacchaeus did that? Because Jesus visited him. The presence of God was real in his life for the first time. For the first time in Zacchaeus' life, he had the light of glory at work in his soul, and he wanted to cultivate it and keep it, and it was just pressed upon him. He got a conviction by the light of God. You know that God convicts each one of us in different ways? Some of us, you know, you, you may need to do this, you may need to do that, but God convicts us. And when God convicts us, we need to obey those convictions. Jesus didn't say, now Zacchaeus, you don't have to restore fourfold. That's not the law. I'm not telling you to do that. Nobody's making you do that. No, Jesus said, hey, salvation's come to you today. You, you got convicted because of the presence of God coming to your house. And what, what was put on your heart, you obeyed. Therefore, salvation's come to you, Zacchaeus. And see, what's the story? What's the moral in that? When you get around God and God begins ministering to you and God's presence becomes real in your life, you've got to begin to walk in obedience and cultivate that relationship. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Oh, you don't want me to watch that. Okay, Lord. See, that's God. You know, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus didn't make a pamphlet. He didn't make a pamphlet and pass out to everybody. He didn't say, now everybody, y'all need to restore fourfold to what y'all took from him. He didn't do that. That was something personal, a personal conviction that he had when he saw God's presence in his life. Amen? You see that? It's about responding to that personal countenance of God in your life. Now here, and, and so why am I saying that? Well, the church today would have taught Zacchaeus, you don't need to do that. How are you going to have a good life if you give all your stuff away? You're giving away all the best that you have. You're not going to have any more wealth. You're not going to have any of this. You're not going to have any of that. But because Zacchaeus sought God's best for his life, not a better worldly life. And many, many people today are stuck searching for a better worldly life. Oh, if I could just get this debt out, if I could just get this out, if I could just pay for that, if I could just get one more of this or one more of that, you know what? That's a carrot on a stick that the devil's using you to, to keep you away from God because you'll never get enough. The world will never satisfy what you truly need. And the Lord teaches on this here in this passage. In verse 13, he said, One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. How many of y'all know when people are talking about divide inheritance, flesh rises up. You, 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 you get a, an inheritance and everybody wants a piece of the pie, but somebody wants more. <laughs> well, they love me more, so I'm getting more. 
right? But when, and that's important. When you're talking about inheritance, that's when somebody passes on. And that's when the flesh comes out. You see it even here. And, and he said unto him, man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Can you imagine Jesus saying that? Why, why would Jesus say that? It doesn't sound very Jesus-like, does it? That's not what the way people portray Jesus. But you, what is he doing? He's causing them to look beyond the carnal things. Why do you want me to tell you what to divide? Why do you want me to sit there and, and hold your hand and tell you, now give this person this, this person that? Why do you want me to get down in the carnal things? Why, look at this. He said, who made me a divider? Look at this next part. He said unto him, take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. What is that? Those things begin to possess him. You want God, you'll get God. But if you want things, those things will lord over you. Those things will begin to lord over you. That you're, you're, you're a servant to whom you obey. You, you, you go after the things of the world, you'll become a servant of the world. You go after God, you'll become a servant and a son to God. But it is, it is in that that you'll see that possessions can actually possess you possessions can possess you we can be so accustomed to gaining worldly wealth that the world begins to get a foothold over us and the lord goes into this story we're not we're not going to go all the way through it but notice what he says here the um in verse 16 that uh he spake a parable unto them saying the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully didn't Jesus say in another passage that it rains on the just and the unjust? So just because this one certain man got plentiful harvest doesn't mean he was anything special, right? A lot of times that's God's way of testing. But notice what he said in verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruit. He had an abundance and he didn't know what to do with it. You think he should have asked the Lord what to do? But he asked himself what to do. And he said in verse 18, and he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Saul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Notice what happened. In verse 18, he had good intentions get in the way of God intentions. You see that in verse 18? He had good intentions. I'm going to store all this so that I can give it away. He, had, he let good intentions overtake God intentions. Because you know what? He might be receiving plentifully, but you cannot allow blessings to take your eyes off of the blesser. It might not have been God's will for his life to take in more than he could have in his barn. You see that? What should he have done? He should have communed with God on his bed, like David said in Psalm 4. He said, God, search my heart. Lord, it's your countenance that I need in my life. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need a bigger barn. I don't have to feed everybody. I don't have to do everything for everybody. It's you that I need, not the world's goods. You give me more joy than in the time the world receives corn or wine. So I will not allow the blessings of the world to take my eyes off of you. But this guy let good intentions overtake God intentions. And when he did that, the blessing became a curse. See that? The blessing became a curse. Some of us, God has blessed us, 
God has given to us. God has helped us. God has liberated us. God has given us more than we deserve. And yet some of us are not returning it to God in submission and surrender to him. Oh, Lord, you didn't have to free me from sin. You didn't have to free me from selfish pride. You didn't have to break the stronghold of sin in my life, but you did. And I'm giving myself to you, Lord. Lord, help me to not see the blessings in my life through the light of the lens of the world, but through the light of your glory. Oh, let's not let the blessings of life take our eyes off of the blesser who is God. See, the light of God's countenance is the desire of the heart of those that hunger after God. Those that hunger after God are bent on God's presence. I will do, right? I will do, I will go, I will fast, I will pray, I will serve, I will obey, I will give, I will do whatever. I need your presence in my life, God, and communing with your heart on your bed means searching that heart. Lord, try me. Is there any wicked way in me, God? Reveal it because it is you that I want, not this world. You put more joy in my soul than in the time the world's corn and wine is increased. How much, do you know whenever somebody is a worldly person and they get more corn or wine, how much joy do they get? You want to know? Look at tax season, right? When everybody gets new TVs. Everybody gets a new TV or a new car in April. Oh, my corn and my wine increase. Hallelujah. God loves me. Hey, God loves you in every season and every day. But, but when, when people's corn and wine increase, it's, it's high cotton time, right? It, we... We highfalutin. We got, oh man, we got God's favor on us. You know what? God's favor is on you whether you in a, a prison or a palace. Amen. Tell me, please tell me that God wasn't with Joseph when he was in prison. Please tell me that God wasn't with, with Daniel when he was in prison or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or Jonah in the, in the belly of the whale. Tell me that God wasn't with the disciples when, when they were broken and busted. Tell me that God wasn't with, with, with Paul whenever he was beaten, whenever he was stoned, whenever he was naked, hungry, cold, in the, in the sea for three days. Tell me that God wasn't with his people when they were perishing, when they were starving, when they were imprisoned, impoverished, when they were without and within. Tell me that God wasn't with them God is with his people. God is with his people. And, and it is that heart where we go after God at any cost that God gives himself. You know, God said that if you, if you seek me, you'll find me when you seek me with half of your heart. It wasn't half of the heart? Oh, come on. Come on, preacher. Just give me half of a heart. No, he said... You'll find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. Well, well, well how am I going to live for myself? You don't. You live for God. You surrender. That, that's part of it. That's, that's being a disciple. That's being a child of God. That's submitting to the will of God for our lives. It's releasing and relinquishing the control. His lordship. If you ever want to know what lordship is, if you ever want to know what lordship is, is he your lord today? If you ever want to think about what lordship means, think about if you've ever rented a house and you had a landlord. Have you ever had a landlord? Do you know that if you wanted to remodel the house, you probably needed to clear it with the landlord? If you're going to be late on a payment, you probably need to clear it with the landlord. If you're going to leave, you probably need to clear it with the landlord, Right? If you're going to knock it down and build a, a, a basketball court instead of a house, you probably need to clear it with the landlord, Amen. right? Amen. Probably need to. What about your life, Lord? Oh, See, he's the Lord of your life. Amen. Not just the landlord, he's the life Lord. And too many of us, too, too many, too many people live void of that blessing void of that blessing of God's presence in their life. 
So I want you to know today that it is God's presence that you need, not another thing. The better life is looking for a better situation. God's life is looking for a savior. A better life looks for a situation to be better. The God life looks to the savior. So are you looking for a situation or are you looking for a savior? That will tell you whether you're trying to find a better life or whether you found God's best for your life. And I want you to know today that God's best can be attained today. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to pay a penance on this side of the cross. You don't have to, you don't have to bring an offering to God. God offered to you. God made an overture to you at Calvary. God gave himself to you. See, that's the amazing thing about our gospel, okay? Our gospel is amazing because the gospel is, for the world, the world's religion, no matter what you call it, Islam, Hindu, Buddha, whatever, the world's religion is teaching you how to work your way to glory. But the gospel is you can't. God's too holy. You're too wrong and God's too right. You can't bridge the gap. So God bridged it for you. God came down. He sent the son to become a babe in a manger. Emmanuel, God with us. And God lived. He incarnated in flesh Isaiah 7, 14, he incarnated in flesh and he lived a holy and righteous life and he went to Calvary, sinless, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world, that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel. Is it God? God did it. God did it. Do you receive that today? You receive that today? Father, we bless you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to be here in this place. Father, we thank you for your gospel. We thank you for the truth of the word of God. 